0: competitions are, in many ways, a complete and utter visual nightmare. Thinking on your feet and preparing speeches within a matter of minutes is hard enough as is. For me, not being able to read my own handwritten notes or the paper an opposing team was holding a foot away from me made these tournaments even more challenging than they already were. When I participated in high school mock trial, I remember that I would often be in courtrooms where the lights were so bright that they would give me headaches after a few hours. I would memorize all of my speeches so people wouldn't have to see me stare closely at an index card, or see me carry up 20 pieces of paper with size 72 font. These are only a fraction of the challenges disabled students experience in mock trials, speech and debate, and other academic competitions. However, the guest of today's episode made me realize that Things don't have to be this way. On today's episode of Legally Blonde and Blind, Alana Kronk and I will be discussing her new organization called One AC, which is dedicated to making speech and debate more accessible to its disabled participants. Stay tuned to learn more about how speech and debate, as well as other academic competitions, can improve their systems for accommodations and make the environment more welcoming to all students. Also, I would like to give a brief content warning. At certain points throughout this episode, we will be discussing instances of sexual assault, as well as ableism and racism. If those are things you find triggering or do not want to hear about, then this may not be the episode for you. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Legally Blonde and Blind. I am very excited to have this guest with me tonight. This is Alana, and she is breaking Legally Blonde and Blind history because she is the first guest that is not legally blonde and or blind. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) You're still welcome. (laughs) And we have a third guest in the room with us, Alana's ESA, Twinkie, who unfortunately cannot add spoken contributions
1: but she is contributing vibes so yeah, she is definitely pulling her weight emotionally um and performing her duties in that in that way <laughs> oh yeah there it there, is. there she is she's <laughs> saying hello that was perfect timing actually
0: well so i've posted on my social media accounts a few times about your organization one accessibility and about all of the work you are doing but before we get into that could you just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what you're studying, some of your
1: interests, past projects, et cetera? Right, yeah, so uh, my name is Alana Krong. I am a student, I'm a rising junior in the college at Georgetown, double majoring in philosophy, English, and I go back and forth about adding disability studies as a minor. Um, I take the classes anyways, it's just a matter of if I'm gonna formalize it on paper and um, in that way. Uh, I'm interested, obviously, in disability studies. I took a course with Professor Lydia XC Brown, and they really, like, inspired me. They are so passionate, and one of the biggest things I noticed in their classes is that they implement such wildly accessible practices that on syllabus day, I literally started crying because I was like, Wow this is so much of a better environment for me. And that's when I, that was the very beginning of what I um, became conscious of like, okay, uh, like disability in a more theoretical critical sense and the power of accessibility. Um, My interests include beyond that, different philosophical things, super into religion and doggies and nature, and I just started kayaking, so yeah. those. Yes, we did
0: go kayaking two weeks ago, and that actually actually went well. (laughs) I didn't fall in. It went really well. I'll take that as an accomplishment.
1: Yeah, and I guess the other things I've done include um, humanities research, which is a big reason why I transferred to Georgetown, is I wanted to be able to do more research and independent academic projects. So my first one was an ethnographic study, like a, a real formal one with IRB approval and everything of street harassment and catcalling. That one was called Hey Beautiful, calling out catcalling culture. And that accumulated in like a 30 page paper, 20 page zine, and a poster. And I presented it at a bunch of conferences. The second project I've done was called Logic in Wonderland. And I examined symbolic logic in Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. You should plug your website. Oh yeah, and then uh, you should totally visit my website, Kronk, Alana A-L-A-N-N-A-C-R-O-N-K, Alanacronk.com, where you can view copies of my work, and I have a few other projects, but those are the two main ones that are like coming to mind that are not One Accessibility. Alrighty, and before we get into One Accessibility, I know this is going to be
0: challenging for you because I still don't understand speech and debate after knowing you for a few weeks, but could you give an elevator pitch of speech and debate? <laughs> right? Uh,
1: okay. First of all, it's weird. It's its own little world. Um, I guess that is the same with like all other little interests, but it's the way the world functions in speech and debate is very different from like the real world. Uh, I'll give that like precursor. Uh, to explain it as simply as possible, speech and debate is an extracurricular academic activity for students that are based in um, academic discourse. Argumentation and the core of it is through, it expresses itself through speeches. Um, speech and debate are a little bit separate, but they happen at the same tournament. Uh, speech or individual events is a series of usually 10 minute long speeches that take several different formats, such as original oratory, humorous interpretation, dramatic interpretation, and so on. Where they're different, either self written or adapted published works that kids. Um, you know, do and perform. And on debate, it's different styles of debate, either one-on-one or two-on-two, and that range in different lengths about different um, policy topics. And those include things like Lincoln-Douglas debate, policy debate, um, parliamentary debate, and public forum debate. And they just introduced big questions. And the longest, oldest, hardest form of debate there is called policy. And that involves trademarks of called spreading which is a extremely uh inhumane speed of speaking that is like you know Eminem (laughs) uh rap god that that one verse that's famous for being very fast it's faster than that and it's two hours of debate at that speed um and that's like one tiny little you should you should play the video yeah so this is a video I have permission to share from my friend her name is Andrea Chow, Um, shout out to her. She'll be going to Yale in the fall. She's a genius, I love her. Uh, This is a very short video of her spreading, not a case, case is what um, you would case is a thing you present in debate that's like your series of arguments this is her spreading you know speed reading lyrics to a song and it's it's going to be indistinguishable um and that's the point is you cannot understand spreading but this is how um people talk in debate
0: yeah and even if the audio quality was perfect you wouldn't be able to understand it <laughs> yeah
1: and it, it that she's not it it gets faster, like no shade to Andrea, but it gets faster uh, than that. And that's obviously like a very obvious barrier to entry for this activity, but there are 10 billion other, other ones. Yeah. So how did you get involved in speech and debate? Right. So I was an eighth grader and my middle school surprisingly had a speech team. This speech team was a closed Circuit. It was not affiliated with the National Speech and Debate Association, which ninety nine percent of speech things are. Um, and I, we were the last public school in the league, which tells you a little bit of something about the privilege that goes into speech and debate. Um, and we competed against all private schools, and it was just speech. There was no debate, and speeches were five minutes instead of ten. And that year, we had. I believe it was five tournaments and you're allowed to enter into two events each. Events were things like storytelling, sight reading, humorous, dramatic interpret duo, ex, um, expository speaking, poetry, things like that. And so I entered in the maximum number of events at every tournament and I never placed lower than second place uh, the whole season, which was quite a record to have and I loved it. I fell in love with it. I spent most of my free time working on speeches and just learning about it and kind of dreaming of going to nationals and I knew that that was something I needed to do in high school Um, and so unfortunately most public schools don't have programs anymore and I looked online for all the high schools in my area and the only one that had a team was this private all-girls catholic school and I did not think about the ramifications of what that would do to me emotionally going to a Catholic all girls. school. You mean you don't belong in an all-girl Catholic school? Exactly. And I was just like, it was just like tunnel vision. I love speech and debate so much. I was like, well, they have a program. They're the only school in driving distance that has a program. So that's where I need to go. And I did all the necessary entrance exams and they gave us quite a generous financial aid package and off I went. And... From there I started my freshman year and I wanted only do speech and then I saw debate was a thing and I was like, this is super cool. And I had my own little political revolution in my brain. uh, As most
0: 14 year olds do. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I grew up in a like a fundamentalist evangelical very hyper conservative um, sect of Christianity that made me believe some really um, harmful things And I was exposed to like philosophy and ethics in a systematic organized study for the first time. And I just loved it a lot. And I fell in love with debate that year and I did really well. I went into varsity public forum debate at my very first tournament ever in high school. And we did very, very well. We went four, two, meaning four wins and two losses, which is an excellent record. For your very first tournament and um, from then on I just competed in a mix until I quit my junior year. Gotcha and clearly from like what you just
0: said you can tell that speech and debate has a lot of benefits to high school students ranging from like improving public speaking and communication skills to exposing you to different ideas and helping you develop like argumentation skills but there also are some problematic aspects of speech (laughs) and debate so would you like to go into that a bit? Like, what yeah. kinds of things did you notice throughout speech and debate that were problematic?
1: Like, do you have any yeah. horror stories? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, before I get into this, I, I will say that uh, a bit of a word of warning that uh, what I'm about to say has, you know, very, like, instances of violence, sexual harm, that sort of a thing. So if that's upsetting... Uh, Maybe this isn't the section to listen to, but uh, I don't even know where to begin, truthfully, because so much, I have witnessed and experienced so much harm within this activity. It is wild. Um, I think fundamentally, a lot of what it comes down to is lack of supervision. Um, It's an activity that has very little oversight and particularly in the way that tournaments manifest, Um, There isn't a lot of oversight. Like, you're just taking kids. They travel all across the country, uh, sticking them in hotels and college campuses, um, and their coach retreats to a place called Tab Room, which is where the tournament is run, uh, where they're not allowed to enter with just zero supervision. A lot of terrible stuff happening. Um so you're so you're not having any contact with like your chaperones the whole time because they're just in this other room. Sometimes it depends. It like there are there are tournaments where I did not see my coach once and there are some times where sometimes a parent would hang out and you could maybe say hey. Um which I think is, like, unacceptable. And that was my school's vibe. Some schools were bigger and had more resources and had team parents. Um, and others were like us that totally didn't have anything. And kids would show up to tournaments alone. I have a few stories I wrote down. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a list. There's, I have a list. These are um, The sad thing is, though, these stories I'm about to tell, A, do not encompass even a fraction of all of the problems that exist in speech and debate. Uh, and... I forgot what the second one was. Anyways, (laughs) uh, first story I'd like to tell, mm, this doesn't have to do so much with disability, but it'll give you an idea of the kind of tomfoolery that happens. Um, So I was a freshman competing in policy debate, and I went up against these varsity kids. I was supposed to be a novice, but there weren't enough novice kids to keep the category going, so they collapsed it. So I had to go up against more experienced kids. And I came from a very small school, which means we had a very small ability to generate prep. That's a kind of term of art, meaning we did not have everything um, in speech and debate manifests or in debate manifests in what are called cards. These are very specifically formatted pieces of evidence. So if you wanted to make any argument in the round, you basically need this card um to say it and so a lot of teams have decades of back files they can tap into and then they have 30 40 people cutting cards and my team had me (laughs) and so going into this round I was at such a disadvantage and I didn't know there's so much lingo there's so many technical things that go into policy debate um I cannot I not imagine know. entering speech and debate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's confusing to me. And this is like an environment without any pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, my coaches a lot of the times called it, it's your trial by fire. Anytime I tried to ask how things work, they go, it's a trial by fire. You will figure it out. And you have to, okay, I'll get to the story in one second. But like another fundamental problem is there's these camps that run that are thousands and thousands of dollars that you have to attend to be competitively viable. Uh, and if you don't go you will never figure out how this activity like truly fundamentally works which is a problem for um low-income students anyway so i'm in here not knowing what the heck is happening i'm just here with like passion and enthusiasm for discourse and they ran in a firm the affirmative gets to speak first and kind of set the tone for what's talked about in a round and their case right their set of arguments was basically came down to something with native american blood quantum i don't even remember all the specifics i just remember they read a pain narrative um a woman one woman's like you know narrative style writing of her deep trauma surrounding some barrier to entry that involved blood quantum which is a very complicated issue in its own right for the indigenous community um that causes a lot of like gatekeeping to, to resources because they say your blood quantum is not high enough. Um, and I am indigenous. I am Chumash, part of the Venture on New Band of Chumash Native Americans in Southern California. Um, and so here I have a team of two white boys and they are running this native ping narrative affirmative case against me. And as a native person, um, that hurt to be knowing I would be losing at this activity that I didn't really truly understand because it's so complicated against something that like affects me directly. That didn't feel good at all. So I ran what's called a K or a critique against, it's called a speaking for others K, basically saying it's inappropriate for you to be um, saying these kinds of arguments when you don't belong to these communities, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, But I didn't have quite all the tools to do that argument with finesse. And so it devolved into me just kind of talking, like not doing it the technical way it should be um, going down. And at one point I said the word, because I had grown up going to powwows, um, it's just a thing I did. And I said something the effect of, you're tokenizing this woman's deeply traumatic narrative you know this one woman's experience. You're trying to say that she embodies the entire variety and variation of all Indigenous people in this country, which is um, offensive. And I said, there, you know, you don't haven't showed me anything that this was the product of like a powwow or any kind of consensus reached. And I noticed when I said the word powwow, um, the the tension in the room was like feelable, like palpable. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and they. It devolved into them calling me racist for saying like, oh yeah, Indians have powwows or whatever from like, but I had said multiple times, you know, I'm indigenous myself. And to me, powwow is just the word for a meeting of Mm -hmm. native people. To them, it sounded like racist white girls, like, oh my God, powwow or whatever. And I got assigned 25 speaker points, which is... Or maybe it was 26. Basically, that's, like, an insult and a punishment. It's, if you were to get a 25 or 26, that record is public, and it's, like, you said something that was very harmful. Very... So, are they almost, like, decorum
0: points, like, how, um, I guess,
1: like, polite you were to the other other (laughs) team, and, like, if you said anything inappropriate? Yeah, a little bit. It also has to do with, like, your speaking style, and so getting that low of a score is, like... What is it? Out of 30. Oh. So in the range is 25 to 30 though. Oh. Okay. So uh, and you never assign 25 or 26 unless there was a problem. Like someone okay. said something terribly horrible. Um like okay, starts at 27, that's still kind of offensive and then like 28's good, 29's great and 30's like perfection amazing. And you can assign fractions of points as well. Of um, course cuz that would that you know it would be too easy if it was <laughs> only whole numbers. Yeah. Um so that gives you an idea of like some of the the tomfoolery, the, the silliness, you know, I I told you the other week I was judging the national speech and debate tournament, the national nationals. I was judging nationals and I got this impromptu round. The way impromptu works is you have, you're given a noun or topic, a quote or something, you know, the topic could be, um, joy. It could be fairies. It could be a quote, you know, and then you have two minutes to prepare a speech Uh, usually in, like, five-paragraph essay style, kind of like, here's my point, impact, resolution, or whatever, and, (laughs) um, and it's a five-minute speech. So I was judging this impromptu round, and the topic this kid got was integrity. If you had to think of a few things, (laughs) a few points to point to about integrity, Marissa, uh, what would you say? You know, I would talk about some of our country's
0: great leaders, you know. <laughs> Not who this kid brought up. Yeah,
1: Marissa already like, knows think this story. Think,
0: think the worst possible person you could associate with integrity.
1: Right. So this kid starts his very first sentence of his speeches Adolf Hitler had integrity. And it went on.
0: And you, you sent me that speech when I was yeah. ha- And I re- I read it when I was half <laughs> asleep. I just woke up and I was like, Adolf Hitler was a great world reader. And I'm like,
1: huh? Yeah. <laughs> and one of his main points was he was pointing to... And he and then he went on. He was like, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Joan of Arc, the, someone else. Uh, Winston Churchill are all great leaders. and And it's because of their integrity. And... One of his whole points, he's like, Hitler could only achieve his vision for Germany um, through his integrity and his commitment to his vision. And he just goes on aggrandizing Hitler. Um, Those are the kinds of things that happen very, very often at tournaments. So basically what
0: you're saying is that you have people coming from these extremely privileged backgrounds and they're not really getting the perspectives Of people who are lower income or who are part of like indigenous groups or communities of color and then that's where you start getting these kinds of ignorant comments and behaviors from. And then I guess more to move on to like the accessibility problems. So what kinds
1: of accommodations did you receive like when you did speech (laughs) and debate? So none. (laughs) Um, For a piece of contrast I feel like it'd be maybe just so you get a little kind of piece of who I am as a person. I have a bunch of accommodations at Georgetown. I have, um, 1.5 times extended time on exams. I have alternative (laughs) test date. I have extra absences. I have, um, quiet, like alternate twinkies barking. Um, (laughs) like I get to take my tests in a separate room that are free of distractions, um, things like that. And there is not a single formal process for requesting accommodations in speech and debate. And you have to understand that, especially in debate, um, there's very limited prep time, right? It's, you know, policy debate's two hours, and you have a couple minutes to prepare these long, very technical um, speeches. And sometimes if you're like me and have something, anything cognitive going on, really, it doesn't even have to be um like ADHD like me. It could really just be anything because these environments are host so high stress. It's very easy easy and reasonable to need a couple extra minutes. Um and they don't provide that. There is no there's kind of I've seen on tournament invitations, sometimes they'll have a little note about uh you could email the tournament director and if you need have any access needs and you know try to work something out. Um but that's just not the same as having a formal system for requesting, approving, and implementing accommodations. It doesn't make, you know, kids are, in the K-12 through education system, are taught to be compliant and to not ask to take up any extra space and to just go along with the rules, you know what I mean? Yeah, because they often
0: feel like asking for accommodations makes them somehow a burden.
1: Yeah, and, you, and I feel like... In a lot of people's minds before they, you know, grow into themselves, sometimes they won't embrace the word disabled or understand that they might have access needs until a little bit later. They might need to be encouraged. Or they might think, oh, let me just
0: tough it out. But when you have this culture that basically leaves accommodations as, like, if anything, at, like, the the tail end of mm-hmm. the tournament invitation in, like, this really small font, right. <laughs> it's not going to encourage people to seek help or it's not going to tell people what's possibly available to them.
1: Yeah, and um, as a result of that, you know, there's a million different reasons you could need accommodation. It's not just extended prep. I mean, there's a reason we, we don't really see a lot of kids who are um, have a lot of different kinds of disabilities in this activity because of tournaments um, unwillingness to go and include disabled people in their conception of of the activity, you know? There is, I've never seen like an ASL interpreter at a tournament and I've been to a billion of them. Um, you know, I've never seen a kid who uses like mobility aids at a tournament, again, because like, I would imagine you try this activity, it's super hostile and unwelcoming and you go, uh, this isn't for me, which I had to do later, which I guess we'll get to at some point. Um, I remember you
0: said too there was only like a few minutes to get between rounds. A lot of the places weren't even wheelchair accessible.
1: Right. And I feel like there that should be an accommodation, right? To have your rounds in a ground level room. I feel like that's a very reasonable accommodation. Or to have more time between rounds. Even if you're Mm like everyone just
0: has to go to the bathroom occasionally or grab a drink or get a snack
1: so you don't pass out. (laughs) Yeah, or um electronic communications of room assignments would be a great thing. A lot of times there's something called Postings, which comes from the word of the verb p- to post, right? They would post a piece of printer paper with everyone's room assignments. And then there is this, like, what do I call it? Like, just ginormous gathering of people around this one piece of paper people shoving each other of them just trying to take a picture and like run away that sounds
0: like complete hell to me and probably sounds (laughs) like complete hell
1: to most of my listeners (laughs) yeah and so like you know um, there's a million different reasons somebody would want to prefer electronic communications whereas it's like font adaptions or maybe like dyslexia Mm -hmm. font um what's it called, extensions on Chrome, or there's a million different assistive technology that people use on their devices that like, there's no way to request, can I get all of my communication electronically? There's just a million different little accommodations that could make the activity so much more equitable. um, And they just don't exist. And I've even heard through my organization Uh, when we call for feedback, I've heard stories of people asking, even when they do reach out, which makes the barrier to, you know, getting the accommodation a little higher, because who's going to reach out and, like, have the language to say, like, I need this accommodation when, Mm. I mean, some people might, obviously, but a lot of people won't. Um, And I've heard of people even going and making that extra step to reach out to tournament directors and then getting denied. They being like, you know, I don't know, I don't think you really need that. Which, at the end of the day, isn't really anybody's. Um, place to say I don't think you need this accommodation I think people are perfectly fine of determining what they need for themselves Yes,
0: (laughs) and I think that's what's the shame too with any kind of not just speech and debate but any kind of like academic activity and like standardized tests as well we saw this too with the Varsity Blues scandal is that people are so quick to deny accommodation just because like they assume everyone's trying to take advantage of it But what's really a shame is like for every, you know, for every person who does take advantage of it, there are dozens of disabled students that actually do need these things and they are all missing out because
1: of a few people. Right. And I honestly, this might be a bit of a radical approach and you don't have to agree with me on this, but I feel like I would rather not ask for medical documentation or verification, just let people have what they want. And if somebody cheats, like, if it's better for like the mass of disabled people who need the accommodations, I I don't care all that much that maybe one or two kids is trying to cheat the system. If you feel the need to cheat, um, you probably won't make it to the highest levels of competition. Anyways, it takes Mm -hmm. so much determination, so much work, so much, just takes so much from your soul uh, to do well in these things. I don't think that if you asked for an extra two minutes of prep time, that would be the thing that...
0: That that would be the thing that sets you over. (laughs) Like, if you're not willing to do the work and take the easy way out, it's not going to work for you
1: in the long run. Or, like, what use could... How could somebody get a competitive edge by asking for their rounds to be held on a ground level... Yeah. (laughs) ...room? I don't think there could be, so... You know i feel like we should just give people accommodations um what a, they- what a <laughs> radical take <laughs> I know. and that's why at my tournament um i'm having every single person oh by the way i'm my organization is hosting a tournament with all well i can't say all because it's online and most happen in person so but most of the accessible practices that we think should be implemented uh we're hosting a tournament with doing it our way yeah, that's great.
0: So I wanted to get into a bit more detail about the specific policy changes you guys mm-hmm. want to
1: see done. Firstly, can you explain to people the name? Right. So the name is a pun. Um, it's only <laughs> debaters who get it. That's why yeah. I said. Yeah. So uh, I call it one AC for short. Cause that's where the pun lives. Um, where do I start with it? So in debate, the names, there are names for speeches. I'll just say them and I'll explain them in like a second. Um, there's the first affirmative constructive, then the first negative constructive, then the second affirmative constructive. It goes on and on and on until you get to, like, uh, rebuttals. And between AF and NEG, going back and forth. So they're abbreviated into the 1AC, the 1NC, the 2AC, the 2NC, whatever. Um, so 1AC is usually in all speeches, though. And across all debates, there is a, one, a 1AC. a um, one And it just stands for the first speech of the round that sets the tone for what the heck you're going to talk about. It lays out what is going to be dealt with in the round. It's called the one AC. And so I noticed (laughs) the word accessibility starts with AC. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so exciting. I love, (laughs) I, I, as I'm sure people know, I love puns. (laughs) Yeah. So I put one AC and then there's a dash and then the rest of the word accessibility. So when you look at it, and you do debate the pun makes sense it's hard to communicate orally um that's why I shorten it usually to 1ac but if I'm going to say the whole thing I say one accessibility because how else like are you supposed to pronounce it one ac (laughs) yeah that doesn't make it 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 sounds so strange (laughs) yeah it does so one accessibility is the most painless way to say it um yeah that's the the pun with the the name Anyways, so firstly, I know
0: one of the biggest changes your organization would like to make is making a more formal system for requesting accommodations, because as you were talking about earlier, it's inconsistent at best. Mm-hmm. So what what specific types of impro- improvements would you
1: like to see? Yeah, so I think that um, the National Speech and Debate Organization, who most competitions run through, they have a website called Tab Room, which is, Tab Room is the name of a physical place at a tournament where um, the tournament is run from. And so the website is basically where all the online stuff gets dealt with. That's where you register. Um, That's where you see, you can see your online uh, where you're supposed to go. It's where, it's where you get a lot of information for the tournament. You have to be using tab room to, uh, to do the tournament and a lot of ballots, the way you just decide if somebody wins or loses and reports that to um, the tournament that's run on tab room usually. Um, I think that tab room itself should implement a way for kids to request accommodations and then to notify their judges so the judge can know, like, this kid, you know, systematically, this Mm -hmm. kid has been approved for um, extra time for whatever the heck, maybe it's extra speech times because they have an alternative method of communicating maybe with an AAC device, you know. Whatever the accommodation is, because sometimes judges need to know so that they can, um, A, not bother kids about it, and B, facilitate and protect um, that accommodation Mm -hmm. being executed. And so I think that is one of the biggest ones that the software is that these tournaments are run on. There's another one called Joy of Tournaments, another one called Speechwire, but Tabroom is the biggest one. Um, They should have a way to formally process these things and not just kind of be a, oh, yeah, we, you know. You can even just make make a Google form. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did, actually. So for my tournament that I'm running, we have something called a participant form that we're having every single participant um, fill out. With things like their name, if they want to share their pronouns, um, their name pronunciation. If they were to win an award, they wouldn't want to mess that up. Um, contact information, parent contact information, and then on the second page, every single person has to go through and look at what accommodations might be possible, so that, that way they can take a moment to contemplate: like, do I think this would, um, you know, really help me myself for whatever my needs are? Um, so th- that they can, you know, yeah, I look think at that's it. really sig- I
0: think that's really important too because. A lot of people just don't know what accommodations are out there Mm -hmm. or you might not think it's possible to do that in this activity and when they aren't available for you to see you might just go oh well i'm not going to do speech and debate this
1: seems too hard right and i remember showing up to my very first um you know section 504 is what allows for accommodations in public schools and I remember showing up to my first 504 meeting because I'd never had accommodations before. I just knew I was suffering and unhappy. And they asked, like, what do you want? And I was like, what can I have? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that was very deliberate. I thought of as many things that would apply. I can think of many more, you know, in person, but um, just because I haven't really competed online. But I thought of as many as I could, and I had them as boxes of, you know, do you want this? And I made it very clear we're not asking for any medical documentation of anything you know it's really just like you say you you want it and I have a little box that just says I affirm that I have access needs and I'm not doing this to cheat um that's really you just click it or you can describe whatever accommodation that you think you want um I'm really not even having them do that weird little Justify why you need, like, beg for it, please. You know that there. Uh, that sounds like pretty much any kind of government de- documentation. <laughs> yeah, like I just feel like I get it. If you're asking for extra time, you probably have difficulty focusing, and I can put the dots together myself. I don't really need to hear you beg. <laughs> for Yes. It. Um. So yeah, I think a formalized system for requesting, um, approving, and implementing accommodations needs to be put in because. And when it's formalized too when it's not you have to approach somebody and have a conversation and when it when it can be done through a form uh that makes it easier to to be dealt with you don't have to like hi i'm sorry for asking
0: but you know especially for people that have some form of like social anxiety yeah. surrounding that it
1: can be terrifying to send that email yeah and so i think that it should be formal so kids know oh this is a thing i'm allowed to ask for it's not like a weird under the table Thing and then when it's formally um, approved, kids can know okay I have this and potentially could, it could if it was on tab room it could be attached to their profile and just travel with them from tournament to tournament. Um, I think the thing about making the accommodations like more
0: like publicly available yeah. is that it I think it helps um, I think it helps us prove that notion that accommodations are somehow some sort of advantage or that if someone's getting extra time during a debate that they are cheating or that they have an unfair advantage over other people.
1: Right, okay. and like I said before, like, I don't think two, three, four extra minutes of prep would really change. For somebody who didn't really need it, um, it, it wouldn't really make a difference. But for somebody like me, you know, I remember being freaked the hell out that I just saw I had, like, 30 seconds to prepare an eight-minute highly technical speech arguing about whatever the heck the topic was, you know, but, like, if I had known I had a couple extra minutes and that they were aware I had access needs around time, you know, I could have maybe relaxed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I would have had a much better time uh, within the activity. That completely makes sense. And do you have any other structural changes? Oh, there's a million. (laughs) I'll try to go through them quickly. I already touched on one of them is time in general, I think, needs to be conceived of more flexibly. There's a rule that I I believe is 10 or 15 minutes. If you're 10 or 15, I think it's 15 minutes late to a round, uh, you're automatically supposed to be disqualified. Um, And that is just silly. There's a million different reasons somebody could be late to a round. Uh, I don't, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, if somebody had something with mobility it might be difficult to act, like find the, you know, where's the mm. elevator? Is the elevator unlocked? How do we get there? Um, finding. The I room. would be so
0: terrified of getting lost and not <laughs> being able to find the room in time. So
1: and nice. then you get fined if you the competition which we'll get, we'll get to that um like they give you a map of the school and they're so hard to figure out it's just these you know very abstract boxes drawn with tiny little font of like oh this is this building and you have to figure out what the heck all the abbreviations mean so finding a room on time if you have absolutely no access needs in the world of mobility or whatever is still almost impossible if you had access needs getting on time would just be unfeasible um, potentially, I don't want to see the front. You know, everybody. Um, you could have a flare up if you had some sort of digestive or whatever thing, and you need to go to the bathroom to deal with that. Um, you know, God forbid you needed to go to the bathroom in between rounds. I mean, people
0: have to do that.
1: You aren't <laughs> little robots that go to debate camp and. <laughs> yeah so spend all day what was it you called it cutting cards cutting cards yeah so um you could be late to around for a million different reasons also you might need extra prep time and maybe you didn't get an accommodation who cares if you ask for you need another 30 seconds speech times if you have alternative forms of communication perhaps you need a translator because you um you feel more comfortable signing perhaps you use alternative augmentative communication devices that have you know a mechanical voice speaking for you maybe you, you know i'm sure there are other alternative forms of communication that maybe you need extended speech time so maybe what other people can say in five minutes maybe you need 10 maybe you Mm. need 15 maybe you need seven who knows um everything about time or maybe also in the middle of a round like kids don't go to the bathroom and sometimes you just need to you know what I mean Mm. or if you needed a five minute breather for whatever the heck reason a million different things can happen with the body and mind um it's like what you're saying in general is it's just a very high-stress environment. Yeah, with no forgiveness from any party ever. I remember I've been harassed by judges when I was just trying to, like, go up to the front of the room and get my papers in order. They'd be like, hey, you're taking up your prep time. Like, you need to start your speech now. And it's like I took two seconds to, like, get my papers in order. Like, so time needs to be conceived of more flexibly. And that's just the difference between I feel like everything in general should be designed As universally as possible for access, and then implement accommodations um, when it's just not feasible for everybody, right? Because the you know, bringing it back to time is just a really easy thing to talk about. Um, You know, you do need proportionally more if you have problems focusing. So maybe time can't be unlimited for everybody, or maybe not everybody can have a uh, because you guys would talk for an hour if given the given (laughs) the opportunity. Right. So accommodations when it can't be for everybody um and also accommodations are really sustainable form of like oh i didn't know that this was an access need let me let me think about it because now you're i'm giving you the space to tell me what you need um but i think time needs to be conceived of more flexibly so that just everybody who you know maybe they didn't go through the formal process of requesting an accommodation can just everybody benefits from accessibility another thing is um incident reporting uh like we're, I was saying before, some really nasty things can be said to you um, in round that are extremely racist. I've heard of slurs being thrown around. You can hear extremely homophobic, like whatever. It's everything, like every form of discrimination. I have heard of it happening at tournaments. Um, I've also heard of, unfortunately, there's a huge um, sexual assault problem at tournaments that there are, I'll shout out, um, Speaking Up Safely, Speech and Debate Stories are two organizations that... Do a lot with specifically addressing sexual assault in speech and debate because there's a lot of it. Um, again, from this like unsupervised children in a new location for a weekend um, is just not a great. Formula. Or being in
0: alone in a room with like very few
1: people, mm-hmm. and you know coaches can act inappropriately. I have heard and been exposed to pedophilic coaches in the past. And there's not a great way to report it. It's, I've seen it getting a little bit better. Occasionally you'll see an incident reporting form. But the biggest problem is kids are not allowed to enter tab room, right? That that place where all the adults are because it's seen uh, for fairness reasons, right? Maybe you might try to cheat or I don't know what they think. Like schmooze a judge or something. Yeah, something like that. So kids are not allowed to enter tab room for any reason. I've seen kids been yelled at before for entering tab room and so how are you supposed to report incidents right yeah how are
0: you supposed to get
1: help if all of the adults are like shuttered in this room you can't even enter right like i'll give a quick recap of you know i had won the state championship in california when i was a sophomore and i came back my you know junior year at a tournament in long beach called jack howe And I was not having a good time at all. My mental health was terrible during the time of my life. I was experiencing hallucinations, vomiting, dizziness, like so many symptoms and I'm just not well and I was not completely memorized because memorizing a 10-minute speech takes great cognitive strength and um I messed up my first round and there's this very hyper competitive culture where kids will very openly demean each other like oh she was terrible and they'll go tell their whole team how terrible somebody was um i freaked out and i had nowhere to go for support because i'm not allowed to enter tab room and that's where all my coaches and you know adults are so i just found like the most remote little bathroom i could and laid down on the public bathroom floor and had a panic attack crying on the ground. Um, and it was terrible. And then I dealt with nuisance fees and, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a second. But like, that's an example of, you know, sometimes you have needs for whatever reason. Sometimes, you know, people are not kind to people with disabilities or not, maybe it's not people, just sometimes things are not structured for people with disabilities that causes tension. Um, and you need support and help, or maybe you need to report an incident or let somebody know I'm not doing well, or maybe somebody was unfair or, um, caused you harm, and you need to tell somebody, and there's just no real good way to do that. They're doing better with some forms or whatnot, but they're just it, it needs to be better. The forms are inconsistent, right? Like, you can only see them at some places. Like, mm-hmm. like
0: similarly with the accommodations, there should right. be you should know how to report it, and
1: it shouldn't be something that's under the table. God, it yeah, it yeah, it should be in the software for the tournament where everybody knows how to access that. Everybody should know how to report a tournament and it, or report an incident, and it should be the same. You know, I didn't show up to my round two because I was busy crying on the floor having a panic attack, Uh, and no, not a single person checked on me. Not a single tournament official, no one reached out to me. Um, And that's terrifying that a child went unaccounted for and no one... Yeah, a child, too. (laughs) These are all minors. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also, I don't want to focus too much on disability because this is a very intersectional issue where there's also a lot of violence that happens at tournaments, and... You know, if you've just experienced this incredibly traumatic thing, how are you supposed to? You know, the second you enter tab room, someone's gonna yell at you. How, you know, that's not something you need. I feel like there should be a policy that, like, kids. And are then you have to, to get your
0: to your round in five minutes <laughs> yeah. too. So, like, you can't even process what
1: traumatic thing just happened to you, right? And um, well, I guess we could talk about the the scheduling because we brought it up a few times. A lot of times, schedules um, do not. Again, this is a thing where it's like yeah, one or two tournaments might get it right, but majority don't. Um, there aren't breaks or times to eat built into most tournaments, and so I've been at tournaments where it was just round after round after round. With I get out of a round and my other one has already supposed to have started, and I'm running to where I'm supposed to go. And there hasn't. I've had rounds where I did not eat like a single thing for almost a whole day. Oh, you should tell them about the food that's available. We'll get Speech to and debate. We'll get to the food in two seconds because that's ridiculous as well. Um, and again, like around disability, you know. A lot of disabled people can't come that's the whole point you can't command your body to like do it you know just be a certain way and sometimes Mm. you need to administer yourself medication sometimes you're having a flare-up sometimes you can't do it sometimes you mentally need to reset sometimes you need to eat because of whatever disability there's a billion different reasons why it's unhealthy and unsustainable um, to just be like go 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 the whole time and you know I was designing my schedule and it took a little finessing but uh we have I believe it's three hours something like that. We have a lot of space in between our rounds to make sure that um even though it's online, you'll have a moment to not care about this tournament when you're you'll competing have a moment, moment
0: to take a few deep breaths, get some water, take right. a walk yeah. all those things are extremely important. it seems like debate does like the the
1: current like system doesn't really emphasize those things nearly enough oh, not at all uh and the food is the other thing is this is funny <laughs> no it's not funny, but it's so bad it's It's funny so bad so do i just start with like the funny thing i guess the national speech and debate organization as i was setting up my tournament i was reading their materials for oh so you want to become a coach so you want to start a team so you want to host a tournament and their official um guide for how to host a tournament when it comes to food um oh i think i I have it—the screenshot somewhere. I'll pull it up in one second. But they recommend the the like the NSDA recommends the food that be provided at tournaments is pizza, um, which sounds like ha ah, ha pizza. Yeah, you're just annoyed at like you know eating silly bad food. There are uh, so many people that can't eat pizza. Yeah, so it, <laughs> there are a million different reasons why somebody would need a uh, different food celiac disease lactose intolerance allergies. i don't think i ever
0: mentioned that on the podcast i actually do have celiac <laughs> disease too um, you know <laughs> i don't diabetes, think it's ever come up yeah all those different things and it's even like, religious
1: reasons or yeah. ethical um things that you like if you're vegan you. Yeah. yeah in your life Uh, pizza doesn't work with like most of those things especially like religious accommodations too I'll, i'll read the the section from the um so one of them was like a checklist of like what you should do the days leading up to the tournament so it said thursday it instructs you to quote order pizza for saturday delivery and then in parentheses or whatever food you're ordering to sell and then also it says you know things you should plan for it says food plan my team members were assigned particular items to bring on tournament day. These could be three 12 packs of Sprite or two dozen homemade cookies. My food parent always had people take care of certain big items. A giant sub cut into small sections for lounge, pots of super chili, uh, etc. We also took care to assign food to everyone, but to give very little for free and reduced lunch kids to bring. That way they weren't burdened to, but still participated. The items we, in, items included we sold in the cafeteria everything but the pizza uh, many kids were assigned to bring water or candy bars but this made it easy so you can see in that that everything but the pizza is a reference to like pizza is at every single tournament mm-hmm. and I have been at tournaments where the only food was pizza most tournaments the only food is pizza or candy bars and that doesn't work with so many people's dietary restrictions and I'm going to say this, but I'll, I'm will i going to put a caveat on it in just a sec. It would be so easy to just go to the grocery store with $60, 70 and buy gluten-free bars to buy a, a couple, you know, apples or whatever at Costco to buy whatever, and, you know, in whatever dietary section that they have to just take a couple boxes of whatever to make sure there's something. But even that is not enough, I don't think, because you need to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and you don't even person. have enough time to do that. You know, I've been... It's not uncommon. Well, I'll say it's mediumly common to stay at a tournament until night. I think the latest I left a tournament was maybe 2 a.m. once. So it's not just lunch. There's also dinner you need to plan for, and you can't I, sustain on, like, breakfast bars, you know, the whole yeah. Time. So I think there needs to be... And it's something that's, you know, a little bit hard because if maybe you don't have a lot of the resources, but I think this is something that tournaments have the duty to take a moment to say... Uh, we need to plan for this and it's unacceptable not to take a moment to plan for this and it might be a hard thing to deal with but um, it's worth planning for so that uh, all types of people can eat at this tournament healthily and i've heard of you know i won't tell anybody's story that's not my own but i can just tell you that i have heard of so many of my fellow speech and debate people um, having significant problems with this like when you can't eat for an entire day will you be able to perform by the end not really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it causes problems for people in a very significant way. What else do I want to talk about? Nuisance fees. Yes,
0: that's the one thing I wanted to talk about before we move on to the more, cult- like, the cultural aspects of it. Right. So explain
1: nuisance fees. You you sort of alluded to it. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the word for a second. Nuisance fee. It's clear they, like, don't like whoever needs to receive one. And I think nuisance is such a harsh word. So basically they're designed to, if, okay. At a certain point in a tournament, in preliminary rounds before breakout rounds, you might be able to decide or figure out that you're not doing well and you're not going to make it to elimination rounds. Uh, usually the standard in debate is to win four rounds and to only lost two, going four, two is what it's called. Uh, maybe you went three, three and you know, you're not going to break, or maybe you lost all your rounds. Um, they want to prevent people from leaving the tournament early. Uh, same thing goes with speech. Maybe if you just like totally messed up, you know, maybe you'll leave the tournament is what they think will happen. And so they'll find you. It, it, Uh, It varies per tournament. I've seen them be a couple hundred dollars. It could be less, but you know, whatever the cost is, it, it really varies. You shouldn't, it's meant to be a deterrent to leaving the tournament early. However, they don't like make exceptions. Uh, they might, I guess, again, this might be a thing, it's like, oh, on a case-to-case basis, but I've never heard of somebody getting an exemption from one. There's a million reasons, again, why somebody who's disabled might need to leave a tournament. You know, uh, medical emergencies happen, they will still fine you for leaving the tournament. Yeah, you said you knew people who went to the ER and they still were fined. Yeah, they were still, they were still fined. I, you know, I knew somebody very, 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 very high up in the debate world who was in the ER, and they were still fined, um, you know, because the tournament wanted to, like, make an example of them. Like, you can't leave and not and not, not uh, face, face the, the consequences. And, yeah, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. A billion different reasons could occur for why somebody needs to leave. And especially when you're having a medical emergency that would, you know, people do speech and debate because they love speech and debate. And I've only heard of once in my whole career of somebody, like, Talking about wanting to leave a tournament because they didn't think they were doing well Like people do this not to be winners, you know going in there's only a fraction a small fraction of people walk away with trophies Like you do this because you love it. Yeah people go because it's you know the parts that aren't not bad or fun <laughs> You know like I feel kind of bad because we're only focusing on the bad parts <laughs> there You know it can be a wonderful activity that I made a lot of friends in and you learn so much just sitting in rounds when you're just even spectating or listening to other people's speeches it's it's wonderful to see what people have to say I learned you know in my sitting in my original oratory rounds I learned about everything from the cost of inhalers being too high to like black experience to the myth of the model minority to um some guy talking about practicing ethical non-monogamy like You learn about so many really interesting things. And the different topics people are passionate about. It's like the one thing
0: they pick to speak about for 10 minutes. Yeah,
1: and debate is similar. I remember going to, you know, after after I had lost a round, it's very common for kids to be sent to, when you don't break into elimination rounds, to be sent to go watch the people who did, who are good, to go learn. And I remember going to this one girl. She did um, feminist rage or something. And so she, it was like a performance aff performance affirmative case where she was like screaming and yelling about feminism and like a very performative and really cool not performative like performative actors like in a performance uh type way and that was just amazing to watch so it's actually the opposite when kids lose oftentimes they stay to watch the other yeah, they kids stay to learn they, they love it so much so I don't even think they're necessary in the first place, but um, it's it literally fines and punishes um, disability when people do need to leave for reasons related to disability.
0: Yeah, which is ridiculous. And I think all of these specific um, policy changes that you're bringing up right now allude to the like very hyper competitive culture of debate. There's not enough emphasis on caring for your physical, mental, and emotional
1: health during these tournaments. There's no emphasis, actually, <laughs> on caring for anything about yourself. It's very much, my uh, friend calls it, grind culture, where it's just about, like, work, work, work! Get those trophies! Like, be the best! Constantly cards! Stay, <laughs> stay up all night! People literally will stay up all night cutting cards. People will get no rest in between day one, day two, day three of tournaments. People, I mean truly, like, hurt their bodies in the process of, nobody I know went to school on Monday or Tuesday after a tournament and was like, I feel great. You always come back feeling <laughs> Like, completely exhausted. Because it, it truly is, it's harmful for your body to go through this and, um... To be so, like, stressed and hyper-focused
0: for such a long period of time.
1: Right, and in a cultural kind of thing that we want to see shift that isn't necessarily the the duty of organizations although if they cared about it they could certainly come up with ways to help it is there is a culture casually of demeaning your opponents um and it's terrible in debate it manifests in very um very common you're, statements of this is the sentence I hear all the time, which is my opponent clearly doesn't know what they're talking about. That is said so often. I'm not even saying like, oh, that happened once or twice. I hear that nearly like every debate. Somebody will just say something casually of like, they're so stupid, they don't know what they're talking about. Or even what you are saying before, people after rounds will just casually say, oh, that person did so poorly. Yeah, like, it starts even before the round Um, with postings, right? Posting is again the, the assignment of who's in what room. Um, people will size up in speech or in debate to see who they're paired against. Um, they'll size up who's in the round and they'll go, oh, uh, let's say, I don't know, a name, Twinkie. Twinkie's in the round? Oh my god, she's so stupid. You'll be fine. <laughs> and they'll go, oh yeah, everyone in my room, part of my language. Everyone in my room, shit, I'll do great. I've heard that a million times. They'll go, like, you know, XYZ's in my room, they're terrible. Or they'll go, everyone in this room is bad. And it's because... The ranking system, it's like golf, right? You want a low score. You get first, right? First, best, second, second, best, third, and so on. And so who is good is contextualized against who's in your room. And so you're motivated because everyone wants to believe they're good. You're motivated to believe that everyone else in your room sucks. And you will say, and it's just so casual to hear it. You'll hear postings go up, that mosh pit Occurs of kids, just so many kids around postings, and you'll just hear it flying. Oh, everyone in my room is terrible, I'll be fine. Oh, I'm going against this girl, she's so stupid. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And I don't think we should talk to each other like that. (laughs) So, what kind of steps do you think organizations or even just individuals
0: in this activity can do to make it a more welcoming and less competitive
1: environment? Right, so I think that first of all, we should just be nicer to each other. I think we should take a step back cuz like in high school i don't know if anyone else had this experience when you graduate and you've had a little space from high school you look back and you're like oh it wasn't that serious it, it <laughs> yes i had that experience i did mock trial in high school and i had the same
0: thing i was i i was that way too like extremely competitive with it and then you look at your head and you're like it doesn't really matter it's yeah,
1: it's, it's a single tournament so i think kids need to take a moment to self reflect and go like you know winning like it we're here for funsies and I think 90, you know, some people do it for college. That's like 90, 80% of the people are there because they truly, 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 truly love the activity um, in the weird, in, it's a weird activity to like, but they're there because they enjoy it. And that's why people go. And I think we should be reminded of that. It's not about the winning because at the end of the day, only, you know, only one person is champion in each event and a handful of people get trophies beyond that. so. If the only thing you want out of it is a trophy and a title, um, that's not a place to be. <laughs> I know, and there's so
0: many skills, like we were talking about, that you get out of it that aren't even just the trophy. Yeah,
1: I right? you know Like, I... even just when you get to sit there and watch another debate. Yeah, I learned so much, and truly this activity, it, again, like I said at the, at the top of our conversation, I had a political awakening in it that totally restructured the way I think and my values by participating in this activity and hearing what people had to say. Um, and those are benefits that everybody can access through uplifting and listening to each other. <laughs> um, and The then, word on listen. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe not spreading as fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, the, and the second thing that organizations could step in to do, and this is um, something we're doing at my own tournament, something that I came up with by myself, um, is Making your rankings pr- primarily determined on a qualitative assessment uh, Assignment of points that you're allowed to tie for. I'll explain what that means. So if you're in a round uh, Maybe uh, the scale I have assigned for my tournament is a scale of 1 to 10 where you can truly assign one, two, three up till 10 not only like oh the upper end is only acceptable. No, like you can assign the full range and when you do that and you allow ties, it's possible for people to—if you had, you know, three legendary people in the round, for them to all get tens and success is not predicated on other people being bad. Your assignment is truly just your how well you do. Yeah, and then we're keeping the comparative rankings as a secondary tie breaking system because ties do happen um, relatively often, and so you do need a system for tie breaking. But if if the comparative ranks of one, two, three, four through seven um were not that you know important, <laughs> then you'd be. It you would know. be less, like, a focus
0: on, like, how the other people are doing and more of a focus on how you're
1: doing. Yeah, and then you'd be allowed to respect other people in your round and know that their success is not literally your loss. Because at the moment, that's
0: how it works. Yeah, you know, that's how it feels, especially when you're in such, like, a, a fast-paced and yeah. stressful environment. Yeah. So we went through a lot, of the different cha- like a lot of the different changes your organization wants to see, and we talked a lot about the tournament that you are hosting. What other steps is your organization taking to... Raise awareness about these issues that you talked about.
1: Yeah, so we have an Instagram where I post little Instagram graphics. They're very pretty. Thank you. It used to be every day. Uh, It's really hard to generate graphics every day. So now it's more like a couple times a week. Uh, That's at, it's one accessibility with a dot after one AC, a period. Uh, That's the handle. And so you can go and follow us there. Oh, the petition! The petition! Or how could we forget about the petition? The petition! So the change.org petition is very important because I am directly emailing every single speech and debate organization um, but like, why would they listen to some rando? It's important to drive, uh, show community support for this idea so that they'd be more willing to listen. And I've actually already got one person from um, New Mexico who's interested in having a conversation about reforming debate in New Mexico, which is super exciting. Um, but I'm going to be following up with them again with another round of emails. But yes, the change.org petition, which you can find linked on our website at one 1ace- ac and then it's the rest of accessibility um, .com. You can find it there. You can find it on our Instagram linked, you know, find it on my Instagram bio, Mm on a Um, it's in just any one of our websites. You'll find our link tree and it's on our change.org. It's titled, um, what is it titled? Help make speech and debate more accessible on change.org. And it has almost 200 signatures. We're at 196, 187. I I feel by
0: the time this episode's uploaded, you will be at 200 signatures.
1: I hope so. Um, and I'm, I think the next phase, once I get my tournament up and running in the next two days, my next phase is really then the rest of the summer. I've done the generative work of putting together the case, of putting together the tournament, putting together some content on Instagram. Um, the rest of my summer is going to be focused on promoing what I have put out uh, for yeah, the conversation. Great.
0: And if people are interested in participating in your tournament or giving any other kind of feedback, like what, can, what steps can they take?
1: yeah so we have a tournament we have a tournament interest form um that's in our link tree as well our link tree really just truly has everything and i feel like it's a great because there's a bunch of different links to click on uh you could totally just gravitate towards whatever suits you we're you're allowed to submit features nobody has yet but if anybody felt the need to talk wanted a platform to talk about accessibility we're totally willing to share our platform um, if you wanted to submit a blog post, if you wanted to submit an Instagram post, whatever it is, you're allowed to do that. Sign up for our tournament, um, which will be August, I think, 7th. It's the first weekend in August. Um, we also have the Instagram, and then, like, honestly, if anybody just wanted to talk and chit-chat, they could totally just email us, which, again, is linked everywhere. You could totally just find it. And you also have a feedback form, too. Yes! Oh, in the feedback form! So, um, you could totally, if you had thoughts about what you think should change in speech and debate... Uh, the feedback form has been super important. We've actually added multiple things in our case as a response directly to what people wrote in our feedback form. And it, sometimes it was just, you know, one person mentioning it. It's like, you know, that's a really good idea. We're going to add it. Um, so I've definitely reformed what we've written on our website on what is our official platform in response to, co- you know, what the community wants. Because I don't want to just be talking about myself. I really do want to be representing the wider Um, disabled community to the best of my ability, so I felt like the way to do that is to, you know, ask.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's great, like, even just listening through all the different needs that you accounted for, I think this organization is really taking into account, like, all of the different needs that people can have, and I I think it's great that you're not only considering disability, but socioeconomic status, gender, race, all of these different factors that impact somebody's ability to participate in this extremely
1: valuable high school activity. I appreciate that so much. I I try my hardest because I experience a lot of different types of marginalization, but I don't embody them all at once. <laughs> and um, I'm trying my hardest to include everybody that I can while also not, you know, speaking for others, but just kind of, you know, listening to what, you know, people have to say, what they think, you know, should be the deal to get the, the situation, the 411 on what other community, discourses and trying to include it in our platform to the best of my ability. Well yeah, thank you so
0: much for joining me today. I really appreciate having you on. I think you are such an articulate and just relatable human. (laughs) Oh thank you so much. I appreciate that. And Twinkie was licking my legs for like (laughs) half of this episode
1: and I was just I was cool with it. <laughs> She's really been a really good girl, but yeah, thank she you so has much. been. She has. She only barked like once. Yeah, she did a really good job. Um, and thank you. I'll be replaying that compliment in my head uh, for weeks. <laughs> I thrive on compliments, so yeah, thank you so much, and thank you. Words for of affirmation. Me on. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on and allowing me to um, talk about my organization. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and will visit 1AC's website as well as sign their petition. If you like this episode and would like to stay up to date, make sure to subscribe to Legally Blonde and Blind on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stay up to date on my social media accounts, my Facebook page, Legally Blonde and Blind, and my Instagram account at LegallyBB underscore. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you soon.